Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. There's a, a new CBS series called Clarice, which as you might imagine, is about Clarice Starling, um, based on the Silence of the Lambs. And uh, Clarice. Hello, Clarice. Wow, what, a, what an impression of Anthony Hopkins. You nailed it. <laughs> At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hi, once again, I'm Hound Radio's Lou Katz, and we want to welcome you to the podcast that keeps you informed on that ever-changing world of entertainment. <laughs> and we do that by welcoming in from Vulture.com and WTOP Radio, one of our faves, Jen Chaney. Hi. <laughs> our guest critic this week from RogerEbert.com. You've come oh, to cool. know her and love her there. And also on our podcast, it's the one, the only, Nell Minow. Yay. And now, for the record, the world's oldest movie reviewer, at least in dog yes. years, we're talking right. about Arch Campbell. Yay. 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 And here we are. And always so much fun to talk to Jen and to have Nell on the program and to hear Lou's dulcet tones. So here we go. And uh, what are we recommending this week? Jen, what's on your agenda? Well, I want to recommend a new sitcom that debuted on NBC that I think has a lot of potential. And it's called Young Rock. And it's uh, sort of a Wonder Years treatment of Dwayne The Rock Johnson's life. Although maybe it's more apt to say it's like fresh off the boat because it comes from, he co-created it with the same woman who created Fresh Off the Boat. And if, if you know anything about The Rock, you know that he had a very interesting upbringing. He grew up in a wrestling family. Uh, he was around some of the, the legends of, of early 80s wrestling, just, you know, as if it's a regular thing. So, for example, there's an episode where Andre the Giant takes uh, The Rock to see E.T. when he's 10 years old. But it also flashes back to his teen years and also his early college years when he went to University of Miami and was playing on the football team. So it, it goes back to different moments in his youth. And, and the one weird part about it is that the framework for it is that The Rock in 2032 is flashing back to all these things because he's running for president. So <laughs> all the flashbacks are coming from, like, interviews he's doing press conferences, which feels a little bit forced, but, you know, I think the whole cast of this thing is really charming. Um, the flashback part of it is is really sweet. I've seen three episodes, and and like I said, I think it has a lot of potential. And who's carrying it? It's an NBC. Okay, wow. And uh, Nell Minow of uh, Roger Ebert, what uh, are you excited about this week? Well, um, I was pleasantly surprised by two movies this week, uh, one for kids and one not for kids. The one for kids is on Disney+. Plus. It's called Flora and Ulysses. It's based on a book by Kate DiCamillo, very award-winning author. And it's about a girl and a squirrel who might have superpowers. And it's, <laughs> it's just really well done. It's very goofy, uh -huh. offbeat, and sweet. And the moral of the movie is that the greatest of all superpowers is hope. And I like oh. that a lot. You know, most movies for kids are either about the importance of friends and family or about, you know, following your dreams. Those are basically the two mm -hmm. themes for yeah. kids. So I'm always very happy when there is something else. And I like this. And you know who's great in the movie is Ben Schwartz. He seems to be doing mm. a thing about interacting with CGI characters now after Sonic the Hedgehog. But he is just so natural and goofy. He's got one scene where he is all by himself 
uh, in a big box store in the middle of the night and he goes dancing through the aisles. And I just thought, I was just very charmed by it. So I thought that was good. And then another movie that I liked a lot this week was based on a true story, Silk Road with Nick Robinson, one of my favorite young actors in the true story of the guy who invented basically Amazon for illegal drugs using uh, currency. And Jason Clark is the FBI guy who's chasing him down and goes back and forth between the two of them. I found it really gripping and interesting and provocative and just extremely well done. So those are two movies I like this week. Where is Silk Road? Video on demand. Great. And and we certainly should mention Nomadland, which comes to Hulu this week and appears to be the uh, Oscar uh, best movie of the year favorite with Frances McDormand in a, in a movie that is half documentary, half uh, nonfiction, half fictional story of uh, a woman as part of the nomad community which is something uh, going on in our country now. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? What do we think of uh, Nomadland? I mean, I I loved it. I thought it was um, beautifully acted. I thought uh, Chloe Zhao, who directed it, just there's so much um, magic light in this movie. I mean, it's extraordinary the, the, the way that she was able to just capture these these different landscapes that Frances McDormand's character travels to. And speaking of Chloe Zhao, uh, I, I do have to put in a plug that my colleague at New York Magazine, Alison Wilmore, wrote, uh, did an interview with her, and, and she's on the cover of New York Magazine. Mm. So uh, do check that out. Yeah, I just, I, I loved every minute of that movie. Nell, are you a fan? I am a big fan. Uh, Frances McDormand, uh, it may be redundant to say Frances McDormand gave a magnificent performance, but uh, this may be... <laughs> Uh, her career best. There is just such an intimacy and and reality. You know, I like the way that Arch described it as quasi documentary. There's one point in the movie mm-hmm. where someone actually calls her Francis, and she just goes with it. <laughs> and you know, it's an insight into this world. And it's and it's in a way, it's not what we expect. I want to compare it for a moment to another movie I liked a lot uh, last year. Uh, Sorry to miss you, which um, also talks about. Uh, the way that uh, that people are struggling in kind of the gig economy, uh, and it's a it's a I think it's fair to say it's a tragic story. This does not feel like a tragic story. A lot of the things you think are going to go horribly wrong really don't, and it's really uh, in, in a way a kind of a meditation on the American experience uh, experience and the American ethos because it kind of goes back to westward expansion and the cowboys mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a sense. And can we just also say that David Strathairn, wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you think it's going to be an indictment of an economic situation that leaves people uh, without a lot of education behind. She's a widow and has uh, gone through most of her money. But there's also this sense that she loves the open road and that all those years she couldn't wait to get out of her house. And that to me is the unexpected uh, aspect of this. Mm-hmm. A while back, the PBS NewsHour did a uh, a segment on the uh, nomad community, and it kind of opened my eyes. So uh, I I just I think it's great that uh, it's coming to Hulu, and uh, you can get it uh, right there. I subscribed so I could see Mrs. America, and I've stayed with Hulu ever since. And I'm sure you can 
get a, a month for free and then see if you want to stay with them or not. Did you by any chance on Hulu, either of you watch in and of itself, the magic show? No, no. but it's been recommended to me multiple times. I'm adding to the multiple times. I, <laughs> I really, not all of it works, but the part that works really works. What's uh, new this week, Jen? What's coming this week? Well, we just talked about Nomadland, so I'll highlight mm -hmm. um, three other things that uh, are coming or will have arrived by the time some of you um, may be listening to this. The first one is this new show on Netflix called Behind Her Eyes. It's this kind of twisty thriller. It starts out with um, a single mom. She meets someone at a bar and quickly realizes that he's her new um, supervisor. She didn't realize that at the time that she met him. And she starts to learn more and more about his circumstances, about his marriage, and just a lot of unexpected things happen. Um, let's just put it that way. But it, it's, it's a short binge. It's like six episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I expect over the next few days that a lot of people are going to be talking about it uh, because it has quite... Ooh quite an unusual ending is from what I understand. I haven't gotten there yet myself. So that is out. Uh, you know what? I did not, I was not familiar with any of the actors. Like they were, they're not like big stars that I, that I had seen in tons of other places. So I, I really think it's the, the story itself that's pulling people toward it. Mm. And then on HBO Max, there's a series called It's a Sin that starts streaming um, on Thursday. And it's, about the AIDS crisis uh, in the 80s, but it starts in the early 80s when people don't totally understand what, what HIV is yet, and it's just starting to have its impact. And it follows a, a group of uh, young people um, as they're really kind of being able to express themselves um, in the queer community for the first time. And unfortunately, you know, as they're starting to have that experience that everything's <laughs> going to change within a matter of, matter of a, a year or two. But that's a, a has been really well reviewed. I've watched the first episode and I thought it was really well done. Um, evokes the period very well. And then something that we're probably going to want to talk about for a few minutes, which is um, Alan versus Pharaoh, the new docu series on HBO that debuts on Sunday. Uh, it's four episodes, and it's looking again at the allegation, and some would say the fact that. Woody Allen molested his oh, daughter Dylan when she was seven wow. years old. Obviously, we've talked and talked and read and read about this story for years now, decades. This is the first time that you actually see the video of Dylan as at age seven that her mother shot, Mia Farrow shot, talking about what her father did. Mia reportedly has a video of their daughter Dylan explaining how Allen molested her. And Woody Allen still contends that she was coached that he didn't do it, but they're really kind of re-examining all of this and, and mm. like so many things, whether it's Britney Spears or Michael Jackson or whatever, you're going back and looking at it again with maybe different eyes and, and different expectations than people did mm. in, in the early 90s. I was fascinated by it. It's four episodes. Um, it is, you know, of course it's one-sided because Woody Allen wouldn't speak for it. Suni Previn wouldn't speak for it. But we do hear from him through audiobooks of his, his recent memoir. So we have at least some sense of where his Woody Allen's mind is about this, and it hasn't changed um, at all. But more importantly, I think we're really hearing from Dylan Farrow, seeing her, hearing her own words, hearing some of the phone conversations that Mia Farrow recorded between her and Woody Allen back mm -hmm. in the 90s when this was going on. You brought charges against me as an unfit mother. And I'm going to make them stick. Anyway, it's, uh, it's fascinating, and I'm sure it's just going to open, open that can of worms again for us to talk about. And this is Ronan Farrow produces or uh, puts it together? No, he, he had not, really? he's in it. He's, he's interviewed really? and he talks, but he, he did not make this. It's um, Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering 
huh. um, who have directed a number of, of other documentaries that deal with sex abuse in, in different contexts in the military. They just did um, On the Record, the, the documentary about Russell Simmons. So this is a subject that they have tackled before. They've never tackled it in the, in the framework of, of incest. And they haven't made anything about the Woody Allen story until now. But this is the kind of material that they, they have dealt with in the past. Ooh, wow, that sounds great. Uh, I want to take a minute and put in a plug for uh, Henry Gates on PBS and his new documentary on the Black Church. I'm just a very big fan of his. I think he's a wonderful storyteller and has a deep scholarship. And I watched a little of it last night, and I can't wait to tackle the rest of it. Uh, Henry Gates on PBS. Uh, Do you see any of that now? No, I'm also looking forward to mm-hmm. it very much. Uh, I'm very interested in the history of Black churches, and uh, and I think he's the perfect person to tell the story. I want to recommend a book that I'm reading right now, which is the Mark Harris biography of Mike Nichols. Mm. Um, mm. Absolutely superb. My dad and I are are both reading it at the same time. He's ahead of me, but we keep comparing notes. And to your point, uh, Jen, as I read about plays that he directed uh, and, and, and projects that he worked on, it's almost shocking to think about what was considered acceptable in, in those days. He, he directed uh, The Knack um, on Broadway, and The Knack is a humorous play about date rape basically and you know so as we look at things now through what we've learned about the impact of trauma on people it's almost unthinkable to imagine what was considered acceptable and charming and humorous back in our lifetime or in my lifetime anyway I was around back then but uh, but the Mike Nichols story it's just an extraordinary story. He came to the United States as an immigrant, as a child. He had a very severe reaction to a vaccine and lo- lost all of his hair as a child. Mm, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible trauma. He, he never was able to grow any hair, eyebrows on his head anywhere and was and it, and he was just consumed by this and you know spent hours every day putting on wigs and Elizabeth Taylor finally got him some good wigs that was a big you know, transforming moment in his life and uh, his relationship with Elaine May I keep stopping the book and going back and looking on YouTube for the old clips of him with Elaine May mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's just a really fun way to read the book. And it's, and the book is so well done. Mark Harris is one of the best writers out there, as you know. He you know, is. he and Elaine May made a series of commercials in the 50s right. that as a kid I used to watch. And it influenced my sense of humor because the humor was so sophisticated. Yeah. And they were this sort of, of uh, generic uh, cartoon thing. They were for Jack's Beer, I think, mm-hmm. where I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But uh, his his humor was so sophisticated, and and they were uh, trendsetters for the time. Do you know? Now we all know about uh, the night that Marilyn Monroe sang "Happy Birthday" to right. JFK. They perform- and my parents were there and saw it all. Uh, and <laughs> of course they did because your parents are Forrest Gump. Exactly they are. My father says he's Nellie. Right? Yeah. Speaking of Woody Allen. Uh, yeah, but Nichols and May performed that night as well. You need to be writing the uh, the personal biography of your father, <laughs> Newton Minow, who was the head of the FCC. And uh, as a kid, I remember his blasting 
the vast wasteland of television. I've reread that speech many times. And to my way of thinking, that speech was badly misinterpreted. Uh, the um, speech, in many ways, did not, con well, it, it didn't. It didn't condemn all of television. It said there are great things in television which are, are unique in uniting the country and serving the country, but that you have got to remember, you, the broadcasters, have got to remember that you are trustees, you are trustees for all of us, that you have got to pay more attention to your obligations to children, you've got to pay more attention to the, uh, not only the bottom line, but to public service. It's such a vaster wasteland now. I mean, you really <laughs> underestimated it. It's, there's so much more of the wasteland. Well, he, for the first time ever, and I guarantee you be for the last time, my dad, my two sisters, and I are writing an article together about uh, the Fairness Doctrine mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. and we'll see where that goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we have a lot of other things to talk about, so many things that maybe we should uh, step in here and take a break. And then uh, I want to talk about the Writers Guild nominations and a few other things uh, that have hit, I think, us personally. But first, but Lou, what are you watching in the in the Lou Katz household? What is getting your attention? Well, we're still into that French series, uh, Call My Agent. Yeah, we, I'm going to start that. We we just started uh, season two. I think there's four seasons of it, Art. So we just started that. And uh, so we're sort of pretty much immense in that. And we're looking forward to watching. Um, I, can, I cannot remember the name of the actor, but I'm sure you guys will know. The one who's the uh, male lead in Bridgerton, who's hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend. Oh, right. Mm. Looking forward to that, especially my wife, Wendy. So that's what we've been watching. We're also excited about the latest World of Dogs feature on Hound Radio. <laughs> Here it is. Woof, woof. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. When it's raining or snowing, a lot of us are lucky to get our dog outside to pee, let alone stretch our legs with a long walk. But dogs need exercise to stay fit and healthy, so how can you help them get it? They can't ride a Peloton. Indoor games are the answer for puppies and small dogs. Tug of war, where you let them win occasionally, or fetch. Practice some obedience training for mental stimulation. You can invite larger dogs to jog with you up and down a hallway or around an obstacle course you create with boxes, couch cushions, and furniture. You can try doga or dog yoga with an older dog. And those mental exercises are good for them no matter their age or size. Teach your dog a new trick once they've mastered the basic sit, stay, and come. Go on to shake, roll over, or speak. Hide kibble inside a box or under it and let them figure out how to get it. Engaging with your dog can help him stay fit and happy inside where it's warm and dry. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Hey, by the way, Jen, uh, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live runs older episodes Saturday night at 10. And last week they ran the one with The Rock from 2002. Mm -hmm. And he was surprisingly good uh, on the uh, episode. 
Yeah, I, he, he was always good on Saturday Night Live, actually. I personally kind of like the ones they're rerunning more than the one than the new ones now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a sign we're getting old. Uh, I watched the very first episode of Saturday Night Live uh, back when I was in law school. So I feel like, uh, you know, that's kind of my sweet spot. But uh, I, I have to say, I still enjoy Weekend Update. And I just read Colin Jost's uh, memoir as well, which I enjoy. Mm, that should be pretty interesting. Uh, the uh, Writers Guild uh, nominations have come out. Have you all gone through these? The original screenplay nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, which I thought is awfully powerful. Palm Springs, Promising Young Woman, another favorite of mine. Sound of Metal, uh, extraordinary movie, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. And then the adaptations are Borat, Why'd they put that in as an adaptation? It's a sequel. Oh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, News of the World, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. And uh, what do you think? That's that's those are ten where, pretty good movies. Where is Chloe Zhao? Where's Chloe Zhao? Well, these are just screenwriting. I know, but she she got she got our she's been nominated for critics screenwriting awards. I think that she you know I. I thought News of the World, I, I, we talked about this before, I did not like yeah. News of the World. I thought it was a poor adaptation. And I, I, I was very surprised not to see her. I was very encouraged, however, particularly in the original screenplay, to see first-timers like uh, Palm Springs and Promising Young Woman in there. That I'm always very happy to see that alongside the Aaron Sorkins of the world. <laughs> Who do you think will win in that category? Mm. That's a tough one. I'm I'm going to go with Sorkin. I think uh, I think I think you can get a nomination as a first timer, but I think it's harder to 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 win. But those are all solid choices, and I would be happy if any of them won. See, to me, I mean, that is the least interesting, like of the of the nominees, just because, like Aaron Sorkin. Like we've been there, we've done that. Like I would I would much rather see something new and a little more daring win than Trial of Chicago Seven. I would love to see. Palm Springs win. I thought that was such an innovative movie. And I just have to have a footnote and say, because I loved Palm Springs so much, I was not expecting to like a map of tiny perfect things very much. I felt like, you know, I'd already seen it, but I thought that they, that was actually quite good. So I like that. Mm -hmm. Even Similarly, a time loop uh, romance. Uh, but I love Palm Springs. I just thought that was so sharp and so innovative. And I watched it, I think, four times in the first month after it came out and saw something new that brought it, you know, that just showed how smart and complete a script it was. It just was so tight. So I would love to see that one. Yeah. I want to throw in a Valentine for Judas and the Black Messiah, which uh, I approached as sort of a sidebar to Trial of the Chicago Seven mm -hmm. and found it much deeper and uh, something entirely different, better well, than I expected. Well, I felt, first of all, I was a teenager living in Chicago when both of those events mm -hmm. were going on. Mm -hmm. So they were very, very vital parts of my youth and I wrote a paper about Fred Hampton in law school. It was a huge, huge, huge event in my life. I thought the screenplay in in Judas and the Black Messiah was the weakest part of the movie. I thought the performances were what made the and the music. I thought the soundtrack was great too. The performances, but to just from the very title, it seems to me it shows where it went off because the story of Fred Hampton is a hugely interesting story. The story of the guy who betrayed him, not nearly as interesting. Mm, and okay. 
That, All right. that, that is my view. But I but I thought the performances were what made that movie. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, now this week I saw something online that said, okay, we know pretty much that uh, Nomadland is uh, the favorite to win the Oscar. And we know the movies that are uh, mentioned over and over, Ma Rainey and Nomadland and Minari and so many of these others. But what we don't know is who's watching them. <laughs> you have any thoughts? <laughs> you meaning like Me, well, watching them at all? Well, the box office is uh, 80% uh, less than it used to be, and we can't quite get the figures from the uh, streamers. Uh, what? How does that strike you? Well, I guess the question that I would ask rather than the demographics of the people who watch would be, you know, which movies have achieved some kind of cultural purpose, purchase, which, which, which ones are people talking about? Is there any of the movies we've just mentioned that has been discussed as much as, say, The Queen's Gambit, which I think uh -huh. became, very, became very prominent in conversation. And I don't know anybody who's not a critic who's seen Minari, a critic or Korean who's seen Minari. <laughs> I know some Korean people. So. Uh, so I don't think that that has achieved much cultural impact. What do you think, Jen? And, and well, and Nomadland, you know, it, it, that's been exclusively a critical conversation up to this point, because even though it's played in, uh, in some theaters, most people, at least where we are anyway, are not going to theaters. Um, and as we talked about, it's just coming to Hulu now. So people really haven't had the opportunity to see it. Uh, let alone talk about it. But I, I think the point you just made about the Queen's Gambit, um, you know, goes back to something that's been true for a few years and maybe more pronounced in the pandemic, which is, um, you know, television tends to be more talked about than than film. Although now, uh, because more of these movies are available in our homes, maybe that's going to change. But as Arch said, it's hard to kind of really gauge that. And um, what we don't have is sort of like the big equivalent of like a Lord of the Rings or some movie that was both critically acclaimed and felt like a mass event because there is no movie like that right now. It's just not possible. Yeah, we were just kind of uh, talking about uh, my wife and I, the lack of word of mouth. That's something lacking now, and I'm not quite sure what it means. Well, Jen just said that she's had multiple people recommending in and of itself. So I think the the word of mouth does get... and, and that certainly is a show that people have asked me about and, and had seen and, and had been talked about, possibly because of the Stephen Colbert connection, since he and his wife produced the show. Mm -hmm. um, but so I think I think there is still uh, there is still a, a conversation going on. I mean, God, isn't that isn't Twitter like 90 percent? people talking about Tiger King and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a I different noticed, type of word of mouth. It was interesting to see Tiger King make it into the Writers Guild uh, <laughs> nominations. That's interesting kind of is a nice word for what that is. <laughs> 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 okay, now this brings me to something that I'm taking personally, and uh, but it also is it's a local story and a national story as well. And it is that this week we learned the Maza Theater Gallery 7, which is a shopping mall theater in Northwest <laughs> Washington, D.C., where for the last 20 years, most of us have gone once or twice a week to watch uh, previews of upcoming movies. That theater, the Maza Theater, is permanently closing. 
which should not be a surprise because it's a dump. <laughs> the seats are broken and it smells bad <laughs> and it's been written hard and hung up wet. But beyond that, other theaters are closing in the Washington area and in other cities, uh, theaters people are used to are announcing they're not coming back. What do you think? As you said, Mazda has not been long for this world for a while now. Uh, you could tell they were not investing. Yeah you know, money into kind of upkeep and things like that. You know, I liked it because, and I, and it's why they scheduled so many press screenings because it's central for so many people. But, uh, and I remember when it opened and it was like the fancy theater mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it stopped being fancy a long time ago. But I mean, this is, this is the thing. I mean, I think, I think there is still certainly a value in a movie theater experience, but it's got to be significantly an upgrade from what you could do at home. And the fact of the matter is that like some of these aging theaters, you know, if I'm at home with my Sonos and my 65 inch TV and no one annoying me on their phone nearby, like that's a better experience than paying $15 to sit in a seat that's broken, which happened to me 50% of the time that I sat down at Mazda Gallery. So um, <laughs> that being said, if I go to the Arclight, which is lovely and they don't show too many, they don't show any commercials. They show three trailers, they get to the movie, they introduce it, they make it an experience. I'll pay $20 to go and do that easy because I feel like I'm supporting something I cannot get just by watching it at home. And obviously the things you can't get are an audience with you. And mm -hmm. the most important thing, which is a sense of focus. When I go to a movie theater, I can, mm -hmm. I, I'm really focused on the movie in a way that sometimes it's difficult to be from home. And I think wow. that's the great, great value of a theater. So I, I don't think that movie theaters are dead, but I think they're gonna have to figure out how to really, and they've been trying to do this anyway, but really make the experience singular from what you could do at home. Do you think it means that we will have fewer theaters in the future and that we'll have to make more of an effort to get to those theaters? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Nell, what do you think? Yeah, I'm sorry about Maza. It was it's the most convenient from my house. And so I was always happy to go there. And it's the parking was easy and and you know, I, I and I remember when Maza was first built and it was this very oh. elegant, oh my gosh, top of the line. Uh, shopping mall and it you know just like everything else in the world of retail it is it is all deteriorated badly so I'm I'm quite sorry I just keep kind of hoping that with AMC's boost from the GameStop people <laughs> people uh, that perhaps it will like a phoenix you know arise from uh, from the ashes I miss going to movie theaters I miss that moment when you're in this big cathedral-like space and the lights go down and you're with other people. I really, I, I don't know if you talked uh, previously about uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. No, but, I haven't. Then That's let, another, let's talk I am about hearing that. about that. But I, that would have been so much fun to see in a theater, even though we would have missed about a third of the jokes because they just keep coming so quickly. But what fun it would have been to see that and be surrounded by people who are as surprised by it. Uh, it's goofiness. And uh, it's just not the same watching it at home. I also, I want to mention that when we would go to the screenings, various people had uh, specific seats yeah. where they would sit. Yeah. 
<laughs> and we and we got to to visit and talk with each other. Yeah, I miss that very much. Yeah. I miss I miss hanging out in the lobby at Mazda. Like going to church. Yeah, <laughs> talking to, talking to everybody. I just miss seeing everybody. Yeah, I don't know what it, I I don't think everything is going to snap back exactly the way it was before. Right, but I also don't think it's all like completely for naught either. I think there will still be an appetite to to do exactly what you just described, mm -hmm. which is. Mm -hmm be amongst people, be able to talk to them, visit with them, and, and have a communal experience. Well, speaking about box office demographics, as you both know, most movie tickets are bought by people between the ages of uh, 15 and 30. And that is the audience that the big movies go for, because those are people who will say, that was great, let's see it again tomorrow. They really like that kind of audience. And they don't have they don't have like living rooms where they can hang out with their friends. So they go to a movie. So, you know, it's a different thing. The last time I was at the Arclight, it was like what I call the NPR crowd. I was one of the younger people there and everybody had NPR tote bags, you know, yeah. <laughs> a Nina toting bag. Yeah, Nina toting bag. I do so. wonder though, if that, you know, historically you're absolutely right. That has been the case, mm -hmm. but I do wonder if, you know, the 15 year olds, are still going to be doing that in the immediate future because first of all the pandemic has trained them to to be communicating virtually completely which they were already kind of starting yeah. to do anyway i don't know my, like my son has doesn't seem to have a lot of interest in going to the movies i don't think i, I have not heard him say once gosh i miss going to the movies yeah. <laughs> i have so, a feeling the great middle is going to be missing and that it'll be uh, it'll be seniors and uh, kids and you know maybe mm -hmm. that's okay so, uh, Jen, why don't you lead us into uh, our most embarrassing segment, flashbacks and favorites. Well, I was thinking since we were talking about Nomadland this week, I'm wondering if either of you have like a favorite kind of on the road or road trip movie, since so much of that film is, you know, about traveling and just being out, out in the world, going from place to place. Ooh, a road trip now. My, my informal survey of movies is that that is the single uh, biggest segment of movies is road trips. So you're talking about, you know, The Wizard of Oz or, you know, going back to the Odyssey, the road trip uh, is always been a very popular concept. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I really like Midnight Run with Robert De Niro uh, and Charles Broden. I think that is one of my favorite road trip movies. It is hilarious and so well written. Well, I'm going to throw Thelma and Louise out there just because, although I don't know how how happy I am with the uh, ending. <laughs> I also liked a movie called The Silver Streak because <laughs> it was set on a streamlined train, and I happen to like railroad trains. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know how it would play today. What about you, Jen? Uh, you know, I don't know if, if this is one of the great road trip movies necessarily, but it's the one that I always think of first, just because I, I loved it so much when I was younger. And that's um, The Sure Thing. I knew you were going to say oh, that. Right. <laughs> I knew it. That's okay. a great movie. <laughs> Love uh, that. Which is a, an early Rob Reiner movie where John Cusack and Daphne Zuniga you know, don't get along and they have to be on a, a car trip going home for winter break from college. And it's, some of it doesn't hold up, but some of, a lot of it is still very, very funny. And you have like- Somewhat inappropriate. Some of it is, but like you have like Tim Robbins in this very small part as someone who cannot stop singing show tunes the entire time. Like uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really fun, sweet movie. 
<laughs> so, Nothing Lou, you got unites enemies like having to listen to show tunes in the car. And Cusack <laughs> is just so good in it. He's adorable. He's he'd be he'd make a wonderful film festival. He's had a, a string of of kind of middle movies that uh, people need to watch again. Lou, you got a road movie you like? Well, I, I was always a fan of the Burt Reynolds uh, road trip uh, sort of comedies. <laughs> the Cannonball, Cannonball Run. Run. That one comes to mind. Bandit. Hey, Smoking the Bandit. That's that's the one. No, Smoking the yeah. Bandit. So those are my favorites. <laughs> Shall you wrap us up? Is there anything on anybody's mind that they've got to get off their uh, chest before we say goodbye? Sure, but not for this podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to end, as I can think of. I, I thought I would uh, wrap things up with uh, a musical loss. Sadly, uh, Chick Corea passed away last week. Uh, mm. Just one of the biggest mm. names in jazz. He was 79 years old. And I thought we'd run uh, one of his more popular songs. It actually, one of his early songs from the 60s. I thought we'd wrap up our podcast this week as we remember Chick Corea, the jazz genius. And we will catch you next week right here.
This is the CATS Podcasting System.